favorite scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? Most people are so unwilling. I'm so sorry. To be what do you want? Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, David Greggy, here on Inside Movies Galore. This is episode 46, where we are talking about Larry Cohen's uh, film from 1985 uh, called The Stuff. Red Raven, why don't you tell us a little bit of the uh, film's premiere? Uh, 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 a little bit. Describe the film. If you Um, the film was about, um, this, like, um, yogurt substance that, um, people were eating, and, um, it became very popular, everyone loved it, but certain people were eating it, and it had an effect on people where they were, like, it was turning certain people, like, into, like, almost like a... Zombies? Zombies, Yeah. And um, they were trying to, like, figure out what was causing it. And that was, like, the whole, like, plot of the movie was, like, trying to figure out what the heck was going on with this substance. And, like, what was, like, causing this whole, like, uproar over this um, stuff, the stuff, you know? <laughs> Well, it's a uh, it was a satire it was a satire on uh, marketing and products, um, especially like irresponsible marketing in food because it's the, the main thing of the movie was the stuff sells but it's dangerous. Uh, it's an invasive force that takes over people's bodies. Like I described it as the blob in reverse. Like to eat you, you have to eat it, and then it eats you from the inside out. That's what I thought at first. At first, I thought, like, this is, like, I first, when I first, the first few moments, I thought of the blob right away. (laughs) Not only that, but it's also corporate espionage. Uh, 
in that sense, it kind of reminded me, it's not period, but it reminded me of something like The Informant with uh, Matt Damon, you know, which, uh, uh, which uh, is, deals with that exact kind of topic of uh, corrupt business practices. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you took the, the science fiction element out of it, you would have a good, like, corporate espionage film, um, especially because they link it back to the... Uh, to the whole idea of the fact that the corporate um, there's a lot of corporate secrets that are legal, uh, particularly and they reference this by name, but with the Coca-Cola formula, you know that's actually kept um, under lock and key. It's kept uh, in a highly secure location, so that way nobody can get at it unless they're authorized personnel. Just because it's such a a prized secret, and there's a lot of a lot of corporate secrets that are like that. Katie, uh, what was your was this uh, your first time seeing it, or was this uh, uh, oh, no. a rewatch? This, this is a rewatch. This is a favorite of mine. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, it's one of those that I can even show my kids because it kind of it, it does sort of border on like sci-fi horror, not so much. Um, you know, scary, scary horror where my 10 year old wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, this is one that I, I like quite a bit. And, um, I, and I think I partially do like it because of the satirical critique on the America, American consumers culture. You know, I like that about, um, Romero's Dawn of the Dead as well, <laughs> that, um, poking fun at or, or exploiting the idea of, um, how kind of consumer focused America really is. I, I enjoy films that exploit that. And um, I think that's part of partially what I really like about this movie. And, and I agree too, that it is kind of a, a neat espionage film in a way. Um, I enjoy um, Michael Moriarty in this film quite a bit, his role as Mo Rutherford. Yeah. He was awesome in this. Like totally. it's kind of amazing that, he's almost like a different actor in this. Like he's very, he's charismatic and you just like this guy. Uh, <laughs> totally. I agree. Whereas in some of his other roles, it's kind of not really the same. Uh, I mean, he was in Larry Cohen's entry on masters of horror, pick me up where he plays one of the serial killers. Um, and from the interviews in that, I got the impression he was kind of a dick. Uh, so it was kind of like, wow, like he's making me like him again. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Brandon, uh, what was your? Uh, was this a rewatch or a, 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 have you seen this film before? Actually, this is my first time seeing this film. Oh, uh, really? I've had it in my collection for a while, and it's been on my list for a long time. Um. I got that one around the same time as I'd gotten Dead Alive in my collection. And then I put most of my priority on Dead Alive and, and left that one to the side. But uh, I look at this one and I almost feel the same vibe as sort of a They Live. Though Dead Alive seems to take more of that graphic uh, feel that it might be similar to in that sense. But... Uh, I read up a little bit on the background of some of the people doing it, and of course, the intentional, um, the intentional take on American corporate greed. Uh, uh, that I can't remember who it was, but they had talked about how uh, how they were upset about how much junk food had actually been approved by the FDA for consumption, and how it was ruining the health of America. <laughs> And that this was part of that. And then, of course, all the Haagen-Dazs that they used. Uh, I think it was Haagen-Dazs they said was the ice cream that they used for a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I thought they used actual shaving cream in some shots. In some shots. And then the fire extinguisher foam in some shots. Um, it was uh, interesting how they went about doing it. It actually reminded me of marshmallow fluff. <laughs> yeah. Holy, yeah. I don't know it's why like, they didn't use marshmallow to, fluff. To me, it's they like they them. took a whole can, uh, uh, a whole like batch of Barbasol shaving cream and and used it in a way where uh, they could make it seem like they, they, they had like somebody 
like in a suit underneath this darn stuff going like, oh, you know, or something like that, uh, that to make it look like they, uh, they were having it move. What did anyone think about the uh, scene uh, where it, 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 the stuff came out from underneath the bed and it looked I, like it was being squirted at the wall and the guy was being like entombed in it brought, or entombed <laughs> well yeah <laughs> Uh, I thought it was pretty convincing. Like, I was wondering, like, how did they do that? Like, it it looked like from the way uh, Moriarty and whatever her name was were standing, like maybe it was being shot from above and they were like leaning over something. I uh, think I read somewhere that that is how they did that. That is how they did that. Uh, I heard that they did the Nightmare on Elm Street trick where they had the rotating room. Actually, I heard that they used some of the same sets, but I can't remember which ones. Well, one of them was the bedroom set. That would have been the rotating room. Right we all heard something. We're on to something here. <laughs> you know, I thought about that too. Um, and if that was indeed the same set, you know, that wouldn't be surprise me because that must have been a really elaborate thing to rig up the rotating room. And what are they going to do? Just take it apart? <laughs> so, um, uh, what did everyone think of the commercial and the song? Catchy. <laughs> Love it. It's an earworm, totally. So this would definitely be one where the music somewhat out, uh, almost outweighs the film, almost. Well, I wouldn't, because go, it's, that, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's. Part I wouldn't yeah. either. Okay. Uh, well, because it's because it's about like commercialism and selling a product. Like it has a really good. It had to have like a really jingle. good jingle to go with it and sell the idea exactly. Totally. Uh, it's like, you can't get enough of the stuff. You know? Gotta have that jingle. Oh, I thought That's it was really it. cheesy, uh, but it was uh, good at the same time. Cheesy no, was, in the uh, best way possible. 80s that, cheese is my favorite. It was, so, uh, it was anchored in its time. That was the only issue with yeah. it. Because for the time, anybody who's grown up in that time period or watched commercials from that time period, that's just like spot on. Uh, though I do feel like it's lost more on people who don't, who haven't I remember read. that style. I well, thought the name was just too cliche, though. I thought they could have had a better name, like the stuff. I mean, that's I just that a little too too cheesy for me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that because it's it's catchy and it. Uh, I don't know. Just exactly. people, it replicates the way that people talk. If people let, say things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like perfect, to honestly. Talk about this stuff with you, but uh, <laughs> you so, uh, uh, I first saw this movie with my friend Andrew, and so he had some thoughts too. Uh, he described it as delightfully campy, and sounds like we're all kind of coming to that consensus, huh? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Definitely, definitely had a campy vibe. And I think just to add to the 80s, you know, the people who appreciate the 80s and stuff, I would like to argue that although I did live in the 80s, I really appreciate the artistic style of things that were done in the 80s. Like the, the vibe that comes with the B-horror movies of the 80s. Like even if I never lived in the 80s, I could appreciate it. I like 70s, you know, giallo films too. Like I never lived in Italy in the 70s, so you know, or never even lived in the 70s. So, you know, I think you can still appreciate um, a genre thing, not because you lived through it, so you understand it, but that you just appreciate the art form. And I think you can also oppositely completely miss it, too, if it's not in your cup of tea. Kind of so funny you say that, because my favorite films tend to come from, like, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and I am obviously not... Uh, right. <laughs> Not because you lived through it at all. Well, but I think weird. the 80s gets that rap, you know, because, oh, well, you're an 80s kid, so of course you like it because you grew up in the 80s. And it's like, not necessarily, because in the 80s, that shit scared the crap out of me. I could not watch for it in the actual 80s. Now I revisit it, and it has a completely different meaning. And, and It's like, like nostalgic it's for you. That's what it's I was a, say. it's nostalgic, but in a different way. Yeah. It's nostalgic. It has like a time capsule kind of feel to it. 
Well, I don't think there will ever be another era exactly like it. I mean, there are films that uh, that definitely bring back the vibe, you know, but they, sure. uh, but, and I, I do believe that there are directors that bring back that, you know, nostalgia. And I think that's what horror directors are, are trying to do these days, you know, bring back that, that, Feel and that. I think those are always the new horror movies that I like. It ends up working out that way, that I always end up liking it. Because I'm not super big on the newer ones. I almost have to be forced to watch them. So. Well, I'm, I'm down with Adam I'm Green and Victor of, Crowley. <laughs> well, it's interesting that I'm sort of like, I like retro stuff. I love it. And I love uh, things that are old. I guess I get sort of... Personally, I get really annoyed with nostalgia as a go-to, you know, just because I find it, it can ride the line between, I don't know, it can be very emotionally manipulative and it can get old really fast. Um, and uh, th that's just sort of my personal thing. I tend to like it when, I like it when directors are able, or storytellers are able to go back even further than that and, uh, you know, not be quite as pandering, at least. Um, I don't know. It, and I also am not a very nostalgic person in general, you know, because I tend to try and make my present good. I tend, I don't really like to live in the past too much, because um, at least to me, the past is kind of painful. But uh, you know, it, it, people lo people love it though. They love to look back. You know, I do. But I do think that people overdo it these days. I'm I'm a little bit of the. Uh... I don't want to quite say the opposite. Like, I like to take the best of like everything that I've seen. Uh, so there's a lot of value in a lot of the old things that have become classics because it's stuff that you know for sure works. And there uh, are classics that right. have become classics that shouldn't be, uh, too. So, <laughs> well, well, I guess what I mean is like, if you're going to talk about classics, then you have to actually talk about classics because. Stuff that's like thirty years old, you might say that's a modern classic, but it's to me classic is much older than that, you know. Huh. Outvoted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there was that line from um, what was it, uh, American Reunion, where they're sitting there saying, "Oh, Spice Girls, I love classic pop." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's precisely my point: is that people's definitions of classics tend to be pretty skewed. Um, like, to me, classic would need to at least be, like, 40 years, if not... I mean, the older, the better. Um, but uh, in terms we're of basically that, there. In terms These of that... Days, anything that was done yesterday is classic. Well, what, <laughs> yeah, well, again, a car is considered a classic after, what, 20 years? 20 years, yep. So, really? 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, like, my... My 84 Camaro is definitely a classic at this point. I don't have it anymore, but I don't know. Maybe movies from 1984 could be classics. I think uh, classic is a loose term, though. It's, really. very, it's very loose, and people love to throw it around. That's, also, oh, that's it, always, yeah. Well, that's always why, like, whenever anybody uses terms like classic or, like, campy or any any term like that i always feel retro like vintage well, we always have to define what we're talking about because again they're very easy to throw around they're very relative and it's just important to define the terms so that way people don't misuse it or you know because i don't know and i'm also very particular about that because it's exactly a term that you can define no not objectively, you know, and that's always why it's important to define it in the context of what you're talking about because it, it or can some people very, say cult classic, you yeah, know, which that's that yeah, has well, that, cult classics, that, they have their own set of uh, you know, definitions there, you know, for what this, defines um, a cult classic. This sort of ties into one of the other things Andrew said. Um, quote, it was a film I didn't really hear much about, but really ended up liking, and I think that kind of worked. Like for me too, at least. Like, did we? Did anybody hear like a whole lot of buzz about it before they had seen it for the first time? No, I, I didn't I, even know hear anything about it. I, I watched the uh, when uh, James Rolfe did Monster Madness. He did he did eighties uh, a thon that would have been back in like twenty twelve, I want to say something like that. And um, it was he did one about the stuff, and that's how I heard about it. And uh, I thought it looked really 
neat. I thought it was a good idea. And um, I've heard about a lot of more obscure horror or like 80s horror stuff through Monster Madness. And, um, you know, it's just been a good resource for it. Yeah, like when I uh, when I first found got into horror five or so years ago, um, oh god, six years now. Ugh, uh, it was one of the tougher movies to find, but it was it was one of those things that the first time you saw, you're like, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, and has anybody wondered, like, well, I'm just going to go back to my notes here. <laughs> Quote: <laughs> I wonder what it actually tasted like. I'm sure it was good, but had some like addictive chemicals in it, or maybe was it all just mind control parasites? Like, I would like to float a discussion on that. Uh, you never know; it could have been laced with PCP or something. You know, it 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 all depends uh, uh, because there were there were definitely a lot of junk, uh, junk food items uh, that at the time were being marketed and. Uh, um, and the, the 80s was definitely a, a time for the junk food era, you know. The junk food era offset by the exercise craze, which is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, getting back to the, the, what does it taste like, I actually <laughs> thought of the stuff, I equated it more like, how, like blood to a vampire. Like I don't know that it necessarily was so great. They just were. They craved it so much it didn't really matter what it tasted like. Like, uh, like the scene where uh, where you uh, you see uh, see the uh, they've got the table set and uh, they've got all the regular food dumped and thrown away, <laughs> and uh, all these empty containers of the stuff you know, laying right nearby. You know, and. And then of course the uh, the family's all sitting around the TV with uh, with the stuff that they're eating, and uh, they're uh, they're like, well, there's microorganisms in uh, this and this and this. Somebody needs it's to like, do an artistic adaptation, um, crossing the stuff with they live. Like you could totally put those yeah. two together. That must exist. Like, How about you do a burlesque show, exactly like it. <laughs> Uh, like the stuff? Yeah. Like everybody does a stuff number? That would yeah. be really weird. <laughs> it would be really weird, but you know what? You're, you you do really weird. I was thinking more like an art print, like an artist makes. Uh, or I have, I always run across the horror convention mashup things. Like I have a patch that's a leather face and a um, They Live mashup of the, the They Live Aliens. And I saw that face. patch. It's a pretty rad patch. Yeah, it's a rad patch, right? So stuff like that, like that kind of a mashup. Somehow, I think I like. I think that I like that better. Like I was just picturing, like at the burlesque show, you just like spray the audience with like white foam or whatever. <laughs> like that do a little. Yeah. yeah, that actually probably would work okay. But... Or, or or white. Um, <laughs> what is it? Uh, sp uh, uh, spray. Uh, uh, string. String. If it's silly string. Yeah. If it's, Ram, Ramstein does that, or at least some variant of it. Look into that. If it's white and it sprays on the audience, just remember to make it salty. And Ew. make them wear raincoats. <laughs> you gotta put yeah. a Ramstein song, too. I think it's like Book Teach or whatever the hell. Gallagher was a comedian from the 1970s, and uh, what he would do is he would smash... Watermelons, watermelons and, yeah. and spray it in, and it would spray into the crowds. So the crowds would actually wear raincoats to the show. Well, we do oh, wait, have a couple that? ladies. That was Gallagher. Gallagher. And Gallagher. We we do have a couple ladies who do in their in their tagline they do tell you to like bring a tarp because they're known to spray blood. So <laughs> we do get a little messy at our shows once in a while. Blood and beer most of the time. <laughs> So well, damn. Um, what did anyway. everyone think about, about the uh, uh, about how the in inside looked of uh, people once the stuff left their bodies? How oh. it just followed them out? Like I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Like especially yeah. like Charlie. Oh god, he was the best character. Andrew didn't like him because he thought he was kind of annoying. Uh, but I loved Chocolate Chip Charlie. We needed more yeah. Chocolate Chip Charlie. <laughs> like I remember like his introductory joke. 
all the time. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, you're Chocolate Chip Charlie. Well, I sure as hell like the Kentucky Colonel. Oh, I loved <laughs> it. That was funny. You know what I was getting from the, uh, uh, this with all the marketing or whatnot? I was getting kind of a Halloween 3 kind of vibe, too, because uh, remember they were marketing those yeah. three toys? Yeah. You know? oh, there there was insight. definitely a marketing. Uh, 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 so Another I one of my favorite movies. So <laughs> well, we did that. We did that on Halloween. Watch mm-hmm. our old episodes, people. It's kind of worth it. Yeah, like probably. <laughs> Actually, it had sort of a trauma-esque vibe when you're looking at the effects. It did. It was weird how they did, like, the graphics, and it was like they were trying to digitalize it somehow. Oh, right, right. I wonder if if you watched this before doing poultry, guys, because it's kind of a similar, uh, trying to achieve similar ends. It was. I can I can definitely see that uh, with, uh, with the poltergeist aspect, especially uh, since there was a scene in Poltergeist where no, uh, pol- the world was up against the wall and no. I think we go pol- pol- three guys. Poultry guys, night of the chicken dead. Oh, you're I'm talking sure you about that. Those, yeah. uh, I'm sure oh, that you're Lloyd, talking about that. That's a Lloyd, good endorsement. I probably watched this before doing yeah. poultry guys because they're trying to achieve similar ends. You know, as far as far as like the Dangerous of junk food kind of stuff. Uh, but honestly, I, 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 yeah. go ahead. I thought they could have done better with the graphics, because <laughs> if you look at Reanimator came out in 1985, and their graphics were way better than this movie. If you if you want to do comparisons, what do you mean well, their this, graphics? Are you talking about like their practical effects, like their practical like effects? body? Yeah, stuff, yeah, or like just like their the graphics and stuff. like just some of their stuff, like. I don't know. There like was a couple scenes where I thought they, yeah, inside the inside of the tanker truck. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wasn't wasn't that great? Like I I agree with you on there. Like the illusion didn't quite play. Um, like it was very clear there were some moments where it's like, okay, that's definitely a miniature. The thing about um, uh, practical effects and whatnot is uh, you, you got to make it uh, believable enough for the audience at the time. And uh, I believe that the audience of the 80s was definitely high, definitely on drugs. (laughs) Think about it. How how much exposure does the regular moviegoer have to, you know, a body being ripped apart? Like, I know that, you know, until I watched modern, you know, horror stuff like that has really good special effects um i never really i i wouldn't know what a skull ripping apart looks like so i gotta sort of take their word for it and i'm the, thinking people in the 80s were the same way the, you know? the, the movie goers of the 80s uh, were there to take their girlfriends to scare the crap out of them so that they would get them into each other's arms and uh and have a uh, nostalgic moment with your significant other, you know, uh, you know. And then, and how did that hole get in the popcorn bowl? <laughs> Gross. I can't understand. But in any case, uh, possible deniability. There job. was did- there was definitely a lot. You know, to consider it at the time. I mean, were did you anyone old? notice too how the guns were different in different scenes? They made oh, a mistake where they like, switched. Yeah, their gun, their guns did seem. I want to say older, like they didn't quite look like anything. Something about them felt off. I I couldn't put my finger on what. Like a lot of them looked really old. Well, it was like in one scene they were using M16s, and in another scene they were using guns that were just different guns that they didn't match up. I noticed that too. Yeah, I think I noticed that as well. And that's often, you know, uh, different props, different times. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody? Anybody want to comment on uh, the colonel or whatever the hell his thing was? Oh God, the colonel. <laughs> yeah, he was a little off kilter. It's like he he had kind of like a. Uh, I call him Alex Jones in my notes. It's like he kind of had a golf war syndrome thing going on. Well, he was he was very uh, Alex Jones esque, and yet I 
I always find that amusing that you have certain movies like this that the kook balls save the day. And of course, it's kind of sad. Well, it's Paul Servino who rocks. You know. um, oh, but like yeah, that's Paul Servino? Yeah. Like, uh, like when he oh. didn't trust uh, Chocolate Char- uh, Charlie to go on the, uh, on the radio. <laughs> oh, man. Poor, that was. That was pretty uh, intense. Wow. <laughs> or say one word in code. What the fuck is he talking about? If you oh, say the one thing that even remotely sounds like a commun- uh, communist, or if you <laughs> say anything in code, I will be watching. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Michael Moriarty's character just like manipulates him into you know taking out the stuff. It's like, you were right. He like says everything he needs to to get this guy on board. <laughs> when you gotta love the that, uh, putting drugs in the food. I knew it. <laughs> when you gotta love at the very end that the stuff's still being sold on the streets like a street drug. You know, <laughs> I appreciated that too. That was good. Um, which made it uh, made it left open to a possible sequel, which probably never happened because because of how uh, how much the drug administration appreciated the film, or at least the. Uh, or the food administration as well, you know, it was kind of like a a kick in the nose. Well, that and the, the fact that it didn't do well at the box office—that's like the big well, of course perfect. not, because all the food administrations were behind the box office at the time. So, <laughs> well, and you can kind of look at that as a nod at a nod to street trash. I mean, there you have a similar setup in the plot where um, people are getting their hands on this the Tenemore Viper and it's melting them and it's making its way around kind of in a similar way. Again, like a, a consumable, this is a different setup, but that's another kind of related. I even saw they had it as a related film on IMDb. So oh, that's cool. <laughs> another one of my favorite movies, you know, just always putting that out there. It's such, a, it's such a weird movie. Like it's a good movie, it. but it's a weird movie. <laughs> uh, hey, did anybody else think that that ending was awesome? Where they make the corporate guys like eat a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, like, classic poetic justice there. And the yeah. whole entry, poetic the whole beginning of that scene really too. Tough. It's like they haven't learned anything. It's like we've got a new product. It's called the taste, you know. And like yeah, that was funny. Up with ice cream guy, and it's like. Oh, it's 88% dairy and only 12% the stuff. It'll be fine. It's like, have you tested it? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. All right, you eat some of it. Oh, no. (laughs) Paul's gun. Kid comes in with a box full of actual stuff. It's like, you you wouldn't use that in front of, like, I like this this little speech he gave. Uh, You wouldn't use that with the boy here. It's like, well, his family's been killed. He's lost everything. No. He's been through a lot. I like that it does sort of uh, take a shot at the fact that with the FDA and with other, uh, especially with the FDA, I know that, um, for, for example, like uh, there are harsher restrictions on tap water than there are on bottled water, for example. And like, so for certain regulatory agencies, the standards of quality can vary wildly across the different agencies. And, uh, you know, so it's sort of taking a shot at that, plus the fact that, you know, if you have certain companies that are big enough, you know, then theoretically they could buy off certain officials or, you know, or at least get special treatment as far as, like, getting it expedited through the regulatory process and that kind of stuff, which does happen um, to various extents. And so it's sort of taking a shot at the fact that, especially nowadays with, uh, you know, big drug drug companies being able to, um, you know, achieve various levels of, uh, you know, stringency regarding what goes into everything um, or, you know, certain brands being favored over others and that kind of stuff. It's sort of. So do you believe that this might've possibly been against the, uh, the drug administration as well, besides the food administration? Well, I mean, it's it is the FDA. I mean, it's all the it's all connected. It's, it's all it's called the Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. Well, that and it's also just it's the same. The principle is the same that uh, 
regardless of the agency that when you have different standards and levels of quality control that get applied, <coughs> it, it also varies uh, between administrations, of course, because, um, you know, certain administrations put more uh, regulatory measures in place uh, than others do. And, I need uh, more thought and caring. <laughs> well, the, you know, it's just like it depends on how much uh, of that is in there and then you know, that will push things through that don't necessarily need to go through or whatever, so... Awesome. Uh, Brandon, uh, did you have uh, anything relatory uh, or related to say about the, the film? Did you, uh, do you feel like it holds up over uh, uh, time, even though you've just only seen it recently? Well, I mean, again, it's all about uh, preference, as has been stated uh, prior to this. I mean, there are a lot of people who like the 80s horror genre, and this fits right in. I think the message is far-reaching, um, but the tone is is pure '80s, and that's great. And for some, and not for others, but that's just how it is with most art. Um, but as far as the message itself, I think the message resonates pretty well uh, at, at any century. Shoot, the message would have uh, resonated thirty years earlier. <laughs> The messages yeah. of the messages of Shakespeare plays resonate with us, you know, five hundred years later, and uh, so yeah, it is depends on or how so depends on how universal the message is, if in order for it to register, you know, thirty years later, let alone five hundred years later. And Shakespeare is a good example because there are people who can eat Shakespeare up without any problem. They could read Shakespeare direct. And love every minute of it and then there are a lot of people who the language and time just uh makes it hard for them or mm -hmm. they just have uh left it up because of that it's uh like i said it's, it's about interest and about uh that though i think if you break it down for those who don't uh care to uh deal with that area i think that they end up coming back to it and getting more enjoyment out of it yeah I've I've read almost every Shakespeare play. There's a couple I need to finish, but um, I've oh. seen the, the full adaptation of Romeo and Juliet down at the Chicago Shakespeare uh, Theater, and man, was he a pervert! <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, at the time, you know, thirteen, fourteen-year-olds getting married was the norm. So, well, if if it's really done in the full adaptation. Every line, Mercutio is quite a pervert. Well, I mean, it's just well, like by, only... by today's standards, yes. Uh, and again, <laughs> it's again, it's about that taste. Like one of my favorite books, uh, fantasy books, is The Cimmerillion. But I can tell you that there are not many people who will tell you that it's their favorite fantasy book, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't begrudge them for saying it. So you know. <laughs> Alrighty. Did anyone else have anything else to add? Um, what do you guys think about the music? Like at the end, the end, the music over the end credits was really almost like an Indiana Jones movie. Like it didn't quite seem to fit the tone. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I had it down totally. as adventure music. <laughs> you know, you know what's <laughs> funny? You know, I just the second thought of this, but have any of you seen Thank You for Smoking? Oh, great! I have movie. not. I love that movie, but it's uh, well, it's basically about it's about a lobbyist uh, who lobbies for the tobacco industry on Capitol Hill, and he's played by Aaron Eckhart, and he's just a really <laughs> smooth customer. And I almost wonder if what if if you made that today, you would almost certainly have to do something with lobbyists these days, sure. just because the power of lobbyists on Capitol Hill is so great, um, as far as. Uh, providing real dollars to back uh, congressional campaigns and that kind of stuff, and to uh -huh. actually get and to really get things going in government, uh, certainly have to have a character like that if you were to update this story. And interestingly enough, they didn't go that route. They went with corporate espionage, which is a perfectly good route to take it. I just, particularly given the way the world is these days, you would almost certainly have to do that angle in order to illustrate how such a thing would happen these days. 
I was curious what other people thought on these two things, and they just stuck out to me. There are only two parts about this movie that annoyed me. Okay. The first was just the very beginning, uh, where the guy just reaches down at this bubbling pool, uh, picks and the first thing he does is taste it. Like <laughs> the first thing he does is taste the <laughs> white ooze coming out of the ground. Yeah, well, that, that bothered the shit out of Andrew too. The first time we saw it, he was like, well, "What the a, hell is he doing?" And I was being like, a medical huh? professional, well, I can see yeah. uh, see that. Uh, 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 I mean, uh, how uh, how how the fuck do you th uh, uh, do you know what the hell he touched before that? You know. <laughs> I mean, it was bubbling. I mean, it could have been really, really hot, which might have. <laughs> but uh, then there's also the other part that bothered me, and I kept getting aggravated with the kid because the kid seemed fairly intelligent through most of this, except for the fact that he climbed into a tanker truck. <laughs> That was the place he decided to choose to hide and then got surprised when it was closed in behind him and that it got filled with stuff. I, I, I don't know. That just, that maybe it's just like normal for people to do that, but it just, that annoyed me. <laughs> Here's something else. The kid did annoy me too, in the sense that like, he's such a standard kid character and that's literally it. We know nothing else about him. He goes nuts in the supermarket the newspaper says he gets arrested. He could totally be tried as a minor for property destruction, and yet nothing is made about that. Again, it just is grounded for life. Yeah, right. He could totally be tried as a juvenile. Oh, um, that could have done with it. Possible that that, is that, that that really bothered me. Plus the fact that yeah, he's so stupid to get in the tanker truck. I mean, yeah. in this day and age, uh, do you, uh, do you think that knocking all that stuff to the gr uh, ground? Do you think you would just get a grounding? I really don't think so. I think that you would. Cops would probably kill you with bullets. Yeah. Well, you'd either get shot it, if uh, <laughs> if you're a minority, you'd get shot easily. Um, but uh, if uh, for sure, you would get tried as a juvenile. Um, I mean, and I highly doubt that those parents had enough money to pay for all that stuff. Do you think? Uh, pretty middle class. Do you think at the time uh, 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 that this film happened? Do you think that? There was a mindset where, oh, the kid will just grow up. Uh, it, it was just, uh, you know, just a phase kind of thing. I know? don't know. I mean, I I wasn't alive at the time, so I can't accurately say. But um, I, uh, it seems to me like given the because not only did he destroy what I assume is hundreds of dollars of the stuff, because I, I don't know how much they were pricing it for, but given how much of it he destroyed, I'm assuming it's in the hundreds of dollars plus the panes of glass, plus the personal assault charges they could bring up. I mean, he's got a record already, and that's just breezed you know, through. They don't even touch that. What's and, funny is... Uh, and, the, and, and that's not like a little plot hole. That's like a pretty significant... A big plot hole. Well, that's like I don't a think Larry Cohen thought about that too much. Well, that's a pretty significant event in the film, mm -hmm. and then it's just glanced over. So, you know, if it was just a little tiny detail, I would be more willing to uh to let it go but it's not you know it's kind of like a defining character moment yeah so uh do you think that was uh, 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 so you think that was odd that, uh, that nothing else was done uh like in the sense of what the law might have had to do with it yeah there was very few there were very few um repercussions for what certainly would have had a lot of serious repercussions and that did kind of i i hate it when people use the phrase it took me out of the movie but like that's one time where i could actually say that just because the realism factor was pretty blatantly ignored there well yeah it, 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 i i guess in the 80s you, you could definitely go and trash a uh, trash a, a mall or uh, trash a, a supermarket or what uh whatnot you know yeah, the Blues Brothers did it. Of course, they did I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say that. Rocky, too. So, we'll have to we'll have to do that on one of these episodes too. Blues Brothers is my favorite movie of all time. So I approve. So, 
All right. So did anyone else have anything else to add? No? I think I think we have actually had enough of the stuff. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you, ladies and uh, gentlemen, for uh, for listening. I have been your host, David Stricky. Why don't we start with uh, uh, Kate? Uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? We'll wrap this up here. Oh, sure. Actually, can somebody else go because my battery on my mic is dying and I have to switch off. I'll go. Sure. I'll go next. Sorry. Um, Red Raven, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you do, where you're from? I'm from uh, I'm uh, Red Raven, and I'm from uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I'm a music promoter in the Milwaukee area, and I'm also a Dead Girl at Dead Girl's uh, Dark Coffin Classics. Awesome. Uh, Dane, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? I am Dane Kyle, independent uh, filmmaker from Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, can't divulge too much, but let's just say 2018 is kind of my year for getting content made and out. Um, just finished shooting the behind-the-scenes documentary, or, or saw or seeing a rough cut soon of uh, the behind-the-scenes of a film I did. Another film is almost finished. I'm uh, shooting a web series, shooting a fan film, uh, trying to get the machinations going for a couple other projects. And it's just going to be a lot coming out this year. And unfortunately, it's a lot of stuff I can't fully speak to yet, but it'll happen uh, soon. Cool. That's great. Definitely looking forward to all that. Uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? Uh, yes, my name is Brandon. I uh, run a YouTube page called uh, uh, Septum Sun versus the World. Um, we are uh, continuing to work on our slow ascent, and uh, we continue to try and produce content uh, that is uh, relative to a collection of physical media, um, games, music, books, but mostly movies, um, and uh, continue to... Uh, work on reviews. Um, we are uh, hoping to put out some uh, more awards-related content in the next few weeks as uh, Oscar season and Razzie season um, uh, continues to move forward. So uh, this is a big active time for us. And uh, actually, next week is going to be a special week because we're going to do a, a tribute to a small uh, studio called X-Strike uh, Studios that produced video game uh, related movies on the small screen uh, or small budget and uh, very much looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, and uh, Dustin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? Oh, hey. Uh, well, I live in Milwaukee. I go to UW uh, and I collect movies. I'm... Well, I collect movies and basically anything else related to horror. Uh, I have an Instagram where I attempt to show it off. Uh, DHR Hunter. So it's supposed to be like Dustin Horror Hunter. I need to think of something better. Uh, so uh, follow that and incentivize me to post more stuff because, good lord, there's a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm ready now. I can go. All right. Um, I'm Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a body positive horror artist and alternative model. And you can find me on Instagram at Third Eye Open, 3-R-D-E-Y-E-0-P-E-N. -E 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 I'm also the makeup artist for horror punk band Rat Bat Spider. You can find them at ratbatspider.bandcamp.com. And I am also a dead girl for Degger's Dark Coffin Classics. And you can find that on vimeo.com slash ddcc. And I'm a performer and producer for Grindhouse Tees Burlesque Productions. And you can find us at facebook.com slash grindhouse tees. Awesome. Uh, and uh, my name is David Streggy. I am your host for the evening. I am uh, uh, I also run Movies Galore of Milwaukee, uh, which is a blog as well as a group. And uh, uh, definitely check out uh, 
probably posting on the page this coming positive. We have an interview tomorrow with somebody. Possibly Saturday. We are having a interview with director Bill Rebane, who is director of Rana Curse of the Lake, or and uh, the Alpha Incident, and uh, the capture giant of spider the invasion, and the giant spider invasion. So definitely Which take a look out. Was filmed, I guess, in Wisconsin. Yes, or at least takes place in Wisconsin. So that's going to yes. be kind of exciting. Definitely, uh, I have like be. a, I have like a twelve-page academic paper somebody wrote about that movie. So I'm I'm looking forward to see with a lot of this film analysis stuff. It feels like whoever is writing this as an academic paper projects an awful lot into what they think the filmmakers motives were. And I've always wanted to ask one of those directors, it's like, Hey, did you really mean any of this stuff or are they just nuts? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Most definitely. In any case, uh, stay t uh, tuned as that will, uh, 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 that will definitely appear on the page and uh, also t uh, take a look and, and uh, keep a lookout for Wrestle Massacre, which I, I am, uh, I have currently uh, somewhat produced. Uh, I am your ho uh, host for the evening. Everyone say good evening or good night. Good night. Good night. Like, share, and subscribe. Good night. Awesome. Hmm. Is it? It's Little Nero, sir. I have your pizza. Leave it on that doorstep and get the hell out of here. Okay. Um, well, what about the money? What money? Well, you'd have to pay for your pizza, sir. That effect. How much do I owe you? Uh, that'll be eleven eighty, sir. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Cheapskate. Hey, I'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. <laughs>